So as I mentioned, we are going to be beginning a sermon series that is going to really walk us through this prophetic book of Jonah. So I'm going to be reading today from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, the very beginning of the story. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, was well, everybody ready for summer? Yeah, okay, good. I like that. Great. Yesterday was beautiful, wasn't it? Right? Beautiful day. I don't know about you, though. It, it feels to me this year like summer, or like winter, I guess, hung on for a really long time. I don't know if that's just me. Maybe it's because I'm retiring in a few weeks. I don't know. And it just seemed like it's taken forever to get here. I don't know. But next weekend, finally, is Memorial Day. Uh, the Early Childhood Center here at church actually had their last day on Thursday. I know the public schools are going to be wrapping up here in the next week or two. Swimming pools in my neighborhood are starting to open up all over the place. And I know that for a lot of families, too, summer means the chance to actually get away, right, for a well-deserved vacation. I know you know, that's always a part of summer I really look forward to. I love taking trips. I love to travel. Ever since I was a little kid, I've really loved the opportunity to go somewhere and see something new that I've never seen before. In fact, if you ask my wife, if you ask Karen, she'll probably tell you that planning a trip is actually as fun for me as actually then taking the trip. I don't know. It really is true for me. I love it. In my free time, lots of you'll find me with, with maps and travel guides and reading through those and figuring out a trip to take and kind of like, how long is it going to take for, to get from here to here? And if we're over here, can we squeeze in a side trip over there? And, and just laying all that out and figuring out a whole itinerary for like, is, is like really, really fun for me. And I appreciate almost every type of landscape that you can go to visit. I really do. It doesn't even matter where we go. I like mountains and deserts, forests. I even like spending time in cities that I've never been to before, but probably my favorite place is being on the water. I don't know why, I just love being on the water. There's something about that feeling of being on a boat, like in the prow of a boat with your face into the wind, just that feeling. I love that. I love sitting on a beach and, you know, digging your feet into the sand. Even if you're on a rocky coast, wading through the tide pools, uh, dangling your feet from a dock into a lake. Anything that's like water-related are just my favorite kinds of places. So it's probably no surprise then that this summer after my retirement in June, we are. We're going to go spend a couple of weeks 
at the beach. I'm really looking forward to that. But then, after we've lounged around on the beach for a, a little while, we're actually taking a trip down the Atlantic coast that's actually going to involve no fewer than seven ferries out on the water to get us from one place to another. Places like Ocracoke Island and Cape Lookout, Baldhead Island, Cumberland Island, all these barrier islands along the coast you have to take ferries to get out to. And I can't tell you how much I'm really looking forward to that, to relaxing on the water for a few weeks. I mean, does that sound enticing to anybody else or is that just me who loves the water like that? You love the water too, Janelle? Yeah, right. So, so that, it's, I use that because I think it's interesting this week, we're beginning this sermon series, right, on Jonah, this Old Testament prophet Jonah. And as you heard, like in that opening scripture reading, it would seem that Jonah also really wanted to be out on the water. Right? Did you, did you pick up on that? The story tells us that when Jonah heard the call of God telling him that his next task as a prophet was to go to this city of Nineveh. Now, now Nineveh is an inland city, right? It's inland from where he is in Israel. It's in the middle of what today would be modern-day Iraq, right? And, and it seems like the first thing when God told him that's what he's supposed to do, the first thing that occurred to him to do instead was to head for a port city, Joppa, and then get on a ship and head out onto the Mediterranean Sea, right, for this, this place called Tarshish. Now, it's really interesting to me, this, this Hebrew word Tarshish that we read about in that scripture, it's usually translated as a place name, right, as the name of an actual city, and it probably was, but the more basic meaning of this word Tarshish actually is out on the open sea, out on the open sea. In fact, there, there are several ports that we know about in the ancient world along relatively uninhabited parts of the Mediterranean coast that the Hebrews referred to as Tarshish. It's probably equivalent almost like the name Portland for us, right, of, of the land of a port. And when you say Portland, it's like, well, do you mean Oregon? Do you mean Maine? There's a Portland. There's other Portlands as well, right? And from the Hebrew perspective then, Tarshish really could be just any place, anywhere that's out far away on the open sea. So when Jonah receives this calling from God that he doesn't particularly like, he kind of says, in effect, nope, you know what, I'm sorry, God, I've got other plans, I'm taking a cruise, I'm out on the open sea, and he's like, you can try to reach me, God, but I'm pretty sure they don't have cell phone service out there. Which I realized as I was writing this probably sounded a little too much like what I've told David about my time on the Outer Banks and the Barrier Islands this summer, you know? I'm retired, you can try to call me, but I don't know if my phone's gonna work out there. I, I don't know. So, but just so David can't take this sermon, right, and try to draw some kind of parallel between Jonah fleeing for Tarshish out on the open sea and me retiring from Living Word and being out on a bunch of ferries out on the coast, right? Let me say this, right? No, I already tried to run from God's call on my life. I already tried, and I learned that it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. In fact, when I was about 10 years old, probably 10 years old, when I first thought I felt God's call on my life to be a pastor, I remember being on a visit to my, my aunt's house. It was my dad's sister's house. After I had this big speaking part, this big part in a children's program at my church, and I remember telling her how great it was and how neat it was to, to serve in church that way, and I'm going to be a pastor when I grow up. 
But by the time I was in my teens, that didn't really sound that cool anymore. And I'd kind of pushed that away in favor of an engineering career. And I pursued that. But you know what? Even then, when I was in college, you know, when I look back on that, when I was in college, we had very few in an engineering curriculum, like general electives, where you get to take whatever you want to take. Very few of those. And I used one of those to take a course called Anatomy of the New Testament. I did not have very many friends taking that course with me. <laughs> but by the time I was in my late 30s, really, I felt God really pestering me to get serious about listening to him. And I signed up for this year-long disciple Bible study that really helped me learn to start saying yes to God. And so right after that, I started teaching third grade Sunday school. Eventually, I actually became the chair of back then what we had was called a Christian Education Committee, and I became the chair of that. But it was actually a few years after that even, I was, by now I was in my early 40s, before I finally acknowledged that God was wanting me to kind of start taking some seminary classes and learn a little more about the Bible studies I was leading and things like that. And then it was another three years after that before I finally got the courage to leave that engineering career and enter into full-time ministry. And then it was two years after that before I actually entered the whole ordination process. So, you know, for me, retirement isn't, it isn't, I keep telling David, it isn't about me trying to get away from God's call. I, I did that for years. But for me, retirement really is, it's just the next step on my own journey of responding to God, of having the opportunity even to discover some new ways to serve. And just like we actually do encourage everyone at Living Word to do through that journey initiative that we have. But you know what, my, my own history, I think, of kind of avoiding God's call before finally saying yes, I mean, I think that kind of means I really can kind of relate to Jonah in this story at this point in his faith journey. I mean, Jonah wants absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing to do with this particular task that God is calling him to do, right? I mean, according to the story, when he first hears about this, he doesn't even consider the idea for a second, right? I mean, the story says, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. So Jonah's very first thought when God gives him this task to do is, I need to go somewhere where I can get away from God's voice, where I can't hear his voice, where what he wants me to do would be virtually impossible to accomplish. You can't go to Nineveh if you're way out in the middle of the Mediterranean on a ship. And we have to realize, too, at this point, right, Jonah was already a prophet. He was one of God's prophets. I mean, this wasn't his first rodeo, so to speak, all right? It wasn't. According to 2 Kings chapter 14, Jonah had been a key advisor to King Jeroboam II. It says this there. It says, he, this is King Jeroboam, was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hafer. So Jonah has been around. You know, he's, he's an advisor to King Jeroboam. And, and so as an experienced prophet, Jonah should really have known better. Right? I mean, he should have known better than to believe that he could run away from God. 
There's no doubt. I mean, he, he would have known what we know as Psalm 139. Psalm 139 had been written 200 years before Jonah by King David. And David said this. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, right? You know where Jonah's trying to go? Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. But just in case Jonah had maybe forgotten those words, not long after Jonah started his voyage, God made it very clear to him, right, that David's words were true, that Jonah couldn't escape from God even out on the far side of the sea. Even there, God made his presence known to Jonah by bringing this enormous storm upon the ship, right? A storm that Jonah knew he was the cause of. But you know, even if, if Jonah did realize it, even if Jonah did know somewhere deep inside that trying to escape from God's call wasn't going to work, the story tells us he tried to anyway. Even so, he tried to. In fact, Jonah's the only prophet, the only prophet in all the biblical stories of the prophets who blatantly disobeys God's call. Blatantly disobeys it. I mean, there are a lot of other prophets, There's prophets like Jeremiah, whose writings demonstrate that they really wish they had not been called, right? That they don't want to do it, but they do. There are other prophets like Isaiah who question whether they really have the ability to actually accomplish what it is that God is asking them to do, but he does it. Jonah's the only one, the only prophet we hear about who God called to do something and who told God, no, no. And I think it's, it's important to me to recognize that because it kind of makes me wonder, right? It makes me wonder why would a story like that be included in the Jewish scriptures? Right? I mean, why would the story of a prophet who said no to God, who clearly doesn't want to do what God's calling him to do, why would that be in the Bible? It's the only story like that. Well, I think they included this very negative portrayal of a man called by God to a particular task precisely because it is so relatable a story. Many of us, I think, many of us, if we think God might be tugging us to participate in some ministry, to take on some leadership role, it's like almost instinctively we refuse to even think about it. And instead, we actively turn and run the other way, planning our escape rather than considering engaging with God's call. And be clear about this, too. Be clear about this. Jonah had what he thought were some great excuses, Great excuses. I mean, God wanted Jonah to go to the heart of his country's enemy's territory, right? To the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the brutal nation of Assyria. And he was supposed to go tell them, preach to them, that God was not pleased with their policies of killing, torturing, and enslaving conquered peoples. And to tell them they needed to repent and turn to God or God would bring his wrath against them. That is, that's a tough gig, right? That's tough, tough calling. 
No, but I don't think that's the only thing that got Jonah moving in the opposite direction, right? I mean, Jonah lived in a period of time that really was kind of the heyday of biblical prophets. It really was. The Bible talks about entire companies of prophets in this time, and, and it, it even names several others who were prominent in the days of Jonah. Names like Elisha and Hosea and Amos and Micah. All of them are right around the same time as Jonah. And I'm sure Jonah thought, hey, look, if I don't do this, and I really don't want to do this, but if I don't do this, God has plenty of other prophets he can call upon to do it. He couldn't conceive of himself personally as an essential part of God's plan. I'm sure he thought, if God wants Nineveh to repent, I'm sure he can find someone else willing to go there and preach to them, especially since God knows I really don't want to do this. I mean, what it boils down to is, is that in this moment for Jonah right now, disobedience to God is way more attractive than obedience. And there are plenty of ways available to Jonah to rationalize that disobedience. But God won't Jonah off the hook. Not that easily. There might well have been plenty of other prophets that God could have called on to preach repentance to Nineveh. In fact, the Bible actually tells us there's, there's a book in the Bible from about 100 years later where a prophet by the name of Nahum would actually write a condemnation of Assyria, very much of Nineveh, like the things that God wanted Jonah to preach. It's right there in the Old Testament. I'll bet you have never heard a sermon on Nahum before. I guarantee you I've never done one. I asked David, no, never done one. But it's right there. It's part of the Old Testament. But you know what? None of Jonah's excuses matter. They don't matter. God persists in his pursuit of Jonah. Jonah experiences firsthand the God that this great English poet you've probably never heard of named Francis Thompson called The Hound of Heaven. The Hound of Heaven. It's a poem about God's relentless, unstoppable pursuit of those he calls to accomplish his purposes in the world. So listen to the opening lines of this beautiful, haunting poem. He writes, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. You see, Francis Thompson, he learned what Jonah learns. God doesn't give up. In chapter 3, verse 2 of Jonah, we'll be seeing that again in a couple weeks in our sermon series. But after Jonah's been swallowed by this great fish and spit back out on dry land, God tells Jonah that in spite of his attempt to flee, his task hasn't changed. Chapter 3, verse 2 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Well, guess what? God's calling you, too. Each and every person who follows Jesus Christ as Lord is being called to some task to some ministry that God needs you, specifically, specifically you, 
to do if God's will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there can be lots of great excuses for trying to run from it. I'm too young. My kids' activities keep me too busy. I'm too old. I've done my time. I don't have the energy anymore. I'm no one special. There's literally there's hundreds of people who could do that instead of me. I don't know, God, what you're asking me to do doesn't sound very fun. In fact, it kind of sounds explicitly not fun. But know this. Once you have truly accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God will be persistent. The hound of heaven will keep at your heels, inviting, encouraging, and challenging you to actively engage with your faith instead of continuing to run from it. So this is the caution, right? This is the caution with summer approaching, as our sermon series title says. Over the next few months, it's going to seem easier than ever to turn in the other direction from what God's calling you to do, you would be hard-pressed to find a church where worship attendance doesn't drop off by at least 25% in the summer. As outdoor activities, vacations, baseball games, golf, swimming pools, all of those vie for priority over the things of God. So let me just encourage you this summer, let this summer be different. This summer, take time to consider how you can respond to God's pursuit of you. Stay engaged with weekly worship. If there's some ministry at Living Word that's been on your heart to start being involved in, but you're putting it off, don't say, I'll wait and talk to them about that in the fall. Just do it. Talk to someone about it. Do it now. If there isn't anything specific, but it's just been nagging you to, to get more involved, make the decision to finally check out this whole journey initiative that we have here at Living Word and let it help get you pointed in the right direction. That's what it's there for. So take it from me and take it from Jonah. Okay, running from the work God is calling you to is exhausting. And God's going to win in the end anyway. It's a lot easier to just get used to start seeing yes from the start. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.